Hello, welcome back to the Stadio podcast on Ringer FC. I'm Misa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. Are you? There's something, something sinister entered your soul. <laughs> the eyes flitting left and right. <laughs> no, man. We'll see. We'll, we'll see. You seem different this week. I'm all right. You seem changed. <laughs> something changed me last a week. A disturbance, a disturbance. How are you? If I'm honest, I had a slightly difficult weekend. Uh, I was meant to see you and the great Dembo this week, but I didn't because I've been editing a book. And for anyone out there writing books, I want to reassure you that it never gets easier. And I'm saying that not to discourage people. I'm saying it because there are people out there who might think that like the craft of writing a book is some mystical, magical thing. It's not, it's just graft, it's work. Um, and like, frankly, if I can do it, anyone can do it. And I had a bit of a graft this weekend on it. So uh, I ended up actually having quite a dull weekend. And the only turning point was bumping into my friend Zane and his wife, Sarah. Shout out to both of them. Zane's an avid listener to the podcast, also a Liverpool fan. So congratulations to him. And I bumped into Zane and Sarah on my first break from my desk at 4 p.m. And we ended up watching the German Cup final together, the men's final, which is really nice. Uh, the women's final I rewatched later, but that was obviously an outstanding game. We should probably start with those, I think. I mean, yeah, because it was a Pokal Finale tag in Germany on Saturday with the women's cup final yeah. starting earlier in the day. Yeah. The men's in the evening. Ultimately, the two dominant forces won out. Yeah. Both completing doubles. Wolfsburg beating Essen in the women's and obviously Bayern Munich beating Leverkusen in the men's. The women's final was wild. So Essen reaching their only their second ever cup final and taking the lead in what inside what was it 12 seconds yeah 12 yeah yeah Leia Schuler in her final game before she leaves for Bayern Munich putting Essen ahead and it was a hell of a game back and forth Essen were what 2-1 up for ages they could have got a third yeah could have got a third probably should have got a third actually and put the game to bed Wolfsburg went 3-2 up and then an amazing free kick in the last minute of stoppage time so yeah Leia Schuler took the lead in the first minute and Panila Harder, who was captain, equalised in the 22nd. Panila Harder's finish was so good. This entire year, she's been decisive. Like, at, at the moment, she's been most needed. Mm. They were only level for, what, seven minutes? Marina Hegering gave Essen the lead again and it looked like for a while that they were going to secure their first ever Pokal. I thought the game was really, really interesting. This is a Wolfsburg side that finished miles ahead of Essen in the league. And an Essen side that probably didn't quite hit the progression that they would have hoped for yeah. after last season. They pushed them the whole way. Dominic Janssen, ex-Arsenal, yeah. gave Wolfsburg the lead with five minutes to go. And you kind of thought, all right, there you go. Normality yeah. has resumed. Yeah, for sure. But then Irini Iyanadu with a free kick in stoppage time, which was amazing. Although Frederica Abs, she took one step to her left just as Iyanadu was kind of running up to it. And that was the difference, basically. Yeah, but also, I mean, a bit, I mean, who the hell am I to criticise professionals? It was like, and it's also hindsight, but from the view that Yanadu had of the goal, there was a path to the corner. And I wonder if the mm. wall was maybe not in quite the right position. And there's a lot of things that go on late in the game. Like, you know, there's fatigue and the pace of that game as well. So I think it was literally just a bit of fatigue that the wall wasn't exactly in the right place. Yeah. Because she put a bit of curl on it. It did, you know, it didn't, it didn't do, it did move in the air. Apt will be disappointed. Obviously, she redeemed herself later, but she might be slightly disappointed with the position of the wall as well as her mm. movement before the free kick. And then um, Wolfsburg ended up winning it on penalties 
Wolfsburg securing another double. The sad thing as well was just watching the devastation of Essen because to Wolfsburg, it's just another cup. They've won six in a row, right? It's just another, it's not just another cup. I know it matters to them, but just seeing the devastation of the Essen players, it is always an, it's always a reminder of the grim inequality of these leagues. Like when, you know, Man City beat Watford 6-0 and you're like, it's everything to Watford to get to a cup final and to City mm-hmm. is just another cup. And that I still do find it a bit jarring. Yeah, I mean, also that Essen side is kind of getting broken up. Like Lena Oberdorf is going to Wolfsburg. Yeah. Leia Schuler is going to Bayern. I think a couple of others are on the move as well. I mean, that's what, Wolfsburg's fourth double in a row. They're fifth in the last eight years. Goodness me. And they've won seven pokeouts out of the last eight. So they are the dominant force in that. You made a great point, I think, a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about the consolidation of women's teams. Mm. And actually, I, re- I really hope those consolidated teams prove a strong threat next year. Yeah, I mean, basically now, Wolfsburg are going for another treble. It'd be their second treble. But we had a question from Jess Malone, soccer sabbatical, because there's a few announcements in Germany about women's side. So basically she said, with last week's announcements that Hertha Berlin will be financially supporting Turbina Potsdam and Schalke are starting a women's club. How crucial is it that Dortmund now follow suit? Also, can Wolfsburg do the treble? I mean, they can, potentially. I'm not too sure if they will. That Champions League is really, really tough. Yeah. But yeah, so basically Hertha last week announced a partnership with Turbina Potsdam, who, for those who don't know, like the geography of Berlin, Potsdam is basically on the outskirts of Berlin. Yeah. It's about half an hour by car from the Olympiastadion and Hertha haven't had a women's side. I think this makes a lot of sense for Hertha and it also makes a lot of sense for Turbina Potsdam because you have these two women's sides in the Frauen Bundesliga, Turbina Potsdam and Frankfurt, who were, who were historically the, the dominant forces before Bayern, Hoffenheim and, well, Bayern and, and, and Wolfsburg really ploughed a load of resources into their women's side. Hoffenheim have overtaken them as well in the in recent years, well, this season specifically. I think it's a smart move. FFC are going to become Eintracht. For international marketing purposes, I think it's great. Now that they're Eintracht women, they won't be that outlier. They'll get more of the resources. I, when they won the Champions League in was it 2015, mm. I think it's PSG. One thing that slightly frustrated me was they didn't get the kind of, the full push of an umbrella organisation. You see mm. it in basketball, like with Real Madrid, the men's team, the basketball team and the football team are all part of the same universe. Well, it's a club. Yeah, exactly. But it really, it really, really, it bolsters everyone instead of having a kind of, oh, Madrid youth or whatever. Like it, it just feels like a unified front. Um, so to that extent, I like it. It's always a shame because SFC's name is on that trophy and they feel something sad about the fact that couldn't endure. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a shame that they couldn't do a similar thing to what Hertha have done with Turbina Potsdam and that is to essentially partner up in the same way that it would be if Turbina became Hertha. Yeah. But to prolong that kind of history. Yeah. It's a shame that they couldn't do that with FFC. You know, they could rebrand them maybe or give them the same kits as Eintracht and just put them as FFC. Yeah. Do it that way. But maybe there's a legal issue there. I'm not too sure. But I think, yeah, the pressure is on Dortmund now. Um, After Schalke announced that they're going to be having a women's side and they're going to start in the Kreisliga and work their way up very organically. It's part of a massive restructuring going on at Schalke in general, which maybe we'll touch on another time. Yeah, I think there is a pressure on Dortmund to form a women's side. It's something that you've seen 
you've seen banners in in the Sioux Tribune from ultras saying, you know, it's time for a women's team. You know, why don't we have a women's team? Mm. And I think that it would make the league super interesting. The way that players tend to go at the moment is, you know, they will come up somewhere and then they will either go abroad and then come back to Bayern or Wolfsburg or, like I said before, Leia Schuler from Essen to Bayern or Lena Oberdorf from um, from Essen to Wolfsburg. If you had a someone like Dortmund in there as another powerhouse, if you like, plus the added investment for Turbina Potsdam from Hertha, who have obviously got huge investment at the moment anyway, maybe it brings the whole level of the league up. Yeah. The only problem I can see is that obviously Essen are really close geographically and are a standalone women's club. So I do wonder how it would impact on them. Schalke are just down the road and I think maybe there could have been something there that they could have teamed up with Essen but I don't know whether Essen would have wanted that or whether they want to stay fully independent or whatever but I think the next few years in Germany are going to be really interesting for the Frauen Bundesliga and I wouldn't be surprised to see Wolfsburg's dominance eventually come to an end at some point with the way that the league becomes more competitive they have less walkover wins you never know how the, the accumulative effect of that might roll out you know be better for women's team Women's football generally, actually, it's always better when there's yeah, more I mean, competition. Better yeah, for Europe. raise the whole level yeah. as opposed to have it consolidated in a few teams. Uh, speaking of consolidating in a few teams, let's go to the men's final. Where Bayern secured yeah. another double, back-to-back doubles. It's always the thing, isn't it? In a, in a match like this, you have to avoid considering the early goal. Or do you, though, in Wolfsburg's case? Doesn't <laughs> <matter>. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, you know, with, with Bayern, right? You know, with Bayern, if you kind of let Bayern get the sniff, they end up almost inevitably crushing you. And Alaba scored beautiful free kick. It's the first, I think it's one of the first free kicks in a German Cup final for about, for almost 20 years. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's wild stat like that. So Alaba scores a beauty. Uh, Kimmich combines with Gnabry for 2-0. Absolute howler for Bayern's third. Yeah, and it came after that absolutely atrocious Kevin Volland miss at the other end. It was like in the space of like 70 seconds, I think it was, or a minute and a half. Was it Harvard's cut the ball across to Kevin Volland, who just had a side foot in, completely missed the ball. And then Lewandowski hits a pot shot from what, 30 yards, 35 yards. And Lucas Radecki palms it down, it bounces up, it hits him and then goes in. You know, it's it's funny, when when you see the footage of the losing players, you realise how devastating it is. Because the, these are teams that don't get here often. This might be the only time they get to a cup final. Mm. You make a mistake like that, which is a defining mistake. And on the way to the cup final, you know, Fredeki has bailed his team out. And oh, to get to this point, he's, yeah. he's been, on the whole, absolutely brilliant this season. And it happens so often to players that don't deserve this kind of humiliation. Yeah, but I don't think his error cost them in the game. That was 3-0. No, it, it, it didn't, but he will take it away. It could have bounced anywhere. It was, a, it was so unlucky, I think. But the followed one beforehand. I'm going to be quite harsh here and say this. There was a goal that um, Gabriel Jesus missed against Southampton. And it was actually driven across the goal quite fast and he missed it. But I remember thinking, yeah, but you were signed to score the goals mm-hmm. that look easier than they are. I'm sure that ball came across goals so quickly that actually it was actually harder to finish than we think. Like it was faster. But the really harsh thing I'll say here is that's what elite players cushion at those times. Mm. And when you look at like a game like that, like Leverkusen, he would have known that they'd get very few chances. And when you know you're going to get very few chances, you snatch at them because you're like, it's, not, it's, it's weird, it's really cruel. There's a, there's a great Simon Barnes quote, the great sports writer, and he said, Sometimes professional golfers miss putts, not because they don't want it enough, but because they want it too much. 
Mm. And it's really, really hard to be a forward against a team like Bayern who give you very, very little to get a chance like that and not snatch at it and not lose your composure and not be like calm as if 10 of those will come along. So I have a lot of sympathy for, for those apparently open goals. Yeah. We had a couple of questions regarding this game. So we, we had quite a few questions for today. So we're going to try and drop them in when we talk about them. But Ed Griffin said, Ballon d'Or race perhaps the most open for years. Who do you think will win? Is it Lewandowski's year? That's a good shout, to be honest. Look how he bailed out Bayern in the first part of that season. If he'd been injured, Bayern would have been, they could have been sixth. Easily. Bayern's attack was so dysfunctional at the start of this season that Lewandowski was doing work from 30 yards out. Mm. Like, if you look at his goals over the course of the season, they've evolved from being individual finishes to more cent- to conventional centre-forward finishes to a certain extent. At the start of the season, he was basically like beating two, three men and getting into position. And if you look at Bayern now in Europe, at this point, they're the favourites of the Champions League just because of how they played the last half. So he's been brilliant in Europe and in the Bundesliga. I mean, he scored 50 goals with the, in all competitions this season. And he said afterwards that he's always going to improve. He says he's always looking to improve. So if he gets any better, I mean... I think he's the front runner. He's a really strange, how do I say it? Like kind of type of forward. Because he genuinely seems to be getting better and sharper with age. And he's got miles on the clock, remember. You know, he was playing first team football at what, 15, 16 years old in Poland. Right. His physical condition is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. He's like LeBron James. Like his attitude to his conditioning is, like LeBron James just spends time on conditioning. Like it's like mm. a completely separate, forget the technical stuff, just the physical side. And um, so I think Lewandowski's wife is actually a former Olympic gymnast. And so she gave him a routine for his body and a full workout, like separate to everything else. And you can see like his physical, it's, you know, Lewandowski is a bit like the time when Formula One drivers started training as if they were almost boxers. You know, when they've got like a body, they're, they're, you're, you're, you're a professional athlete who does a sport like driving, but you've actually got a body that would make you compete well in a, in a different sport altogether. And Lewandowski's like that. He's like a kind of martial arts expert who happens to play football. Well, it's funny you say that because Anna Lewandowska, his wife, won the bronze medal at the 2009 Karate World Cup. That's what it was. Okay, right. So his body, he's basically doing routines that she's prepared for him. Yeah. That's amazing. What a cool couple they are. I know, right? So cool. The things they must talk about, like movement and angles and balance and body positioning. And also, you wouldn't fuck with them either because they... I mean, yeah, like really. You could add a sound effect there. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Speaking of people you wouldn't fuck with, let's uh, let's go to the Premier League bearded, capped Ralph Hasenhutl. He, he looks mean and he looks like he means business. They were down Southampton. Can, can we actually like, Southampton were going down. Well, I mean, this is the official Ralph Hasenhutl Berlin fan club, you and me. I mean, you, you, you were hip to him in depth. It's astonishing. Like now they're going to, it's going to be a procession to the end of the season. And they were gone before he arrived. They were gone. There have been some tough moments and there looked like there had been some moments where his ideas weren't really coming through or maybe that he didn't have the players for it. As those of you know, one of my best mates, Rob, Southampton Rob to this podcast. Rob. Yeah, yeah. Obviously a Southampton fan. Uh, he was very perplexed that they didn't back him in the transfer window to the, to the level that he deserves to be backed. 
However, I think he's really starting to instill his philosophy throughout the whole club at Southampton. And they they seem to impress in very different ways. I thought Man City were actually really good on the weekend. A little bit wasteful. They had that bit of luck at the... Southampton had that bit of luck at the end of the first half where there were a couple of saves, a couple of post hits. Yeah. And when they, but when they got out of that unscathed, I kind of thought, uh, it's going to be one of those. You know, City are going to end up with 70% possession or something like that. And Southampton are going to scrape this. But they never... Apart from that moment at the end of the first half, they were never really clinging on. They still played football. They still had outlets. Bernardo Silva said at the beginning, we're used to playing against sides that defend really deep against us. And they came and pressed us straight away. And it was a bit weird. That's what's always cracked Guardiola in the Premier League. The the teams that have generally beaten him have gone toe-to-toe with him. Mm. And it requires incredible physical exertion. To be honest, that's actually the story of Guardiola's career. You look at like, I was looking at an old game from 2011 and it was um, Bilbao against Guardiola's Barcelona. And Athletic just came and went like, Mm. Nose to nose, which is really gutsy. It's and it, it requires an unbelievable amount of coaching and also, frankly, a bit of luck. And as mentioned before, Gabriel Jesus missed a really good chance. But then it also shows the brilliance of Kevin De Bruyne because De Bruyne is one of the few City players who truly gets them out of jail. You could say like De Bruyne, Aguero, and Riyad Mahrez in that order, just because Mahrez is such an incredible individual talent in isolation. But it really shows you that when a key player is missing for City, you can kind of drag them down. And there was a thing when Guardiola was saying, oh, like, I don't know why we've lost so many games this season. Well, I think Pep is being slightly disingenuous there. I think he does know. Pep. Musa called it at the beginning of the season. Yeah. If you attack him straight down the middle. And here's the problem with Manchester City. And this is why I think they're going to come back and be ferocious next season. Guardiola is very headstrong. He has his way of doing things. So when you say, oh, the fullbacks aren't good enough to play the game you want, he doesn't buy new fullbacks, then it implodes, then he buys new fullbacks. You say the centre-backs aren't good enough and that triangle between defence midfield and centre-backs isn't going to work. He doesn't listen. He thinks they're good enough. They're not good enough. He goes and buys. So I think that actually Man City's backlash next year will be ferocious. And if Liverpool don't strengthen, City are good money to do that again. They're good money, they're good money to win again. Like Liverpool really have to add someone in midfield, I think. They have to add someone. Well, they may be because there are heavy rumours about Thiago Alcantara going to Liverpool. So if they get him, he's scary. I mean, it offers them another dimension that they just don't have. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a massive mistake for Bayern to let him go if they I do agree. let him go. And an unbelievable signing for Liverpool. It's just a piece that comes with being stable, consistently challenging, they're just super attractive to go to now. I think they're the most attractive proposition in the Premier League now. And I think a couple of years ago, even even with Klopp there, I think that was Spurs, weirdly. I think Spurs were looking like, do you know what? You go to London, you play for Spurs, you got Poch, you move into a new stadium. Things seem to be really, really going on in, in a good direction. And you look at how different those paths have gone. I couldn't imagine a world a couple of years ago where, honestly, I say, I say this now, a couple of years ago, there was a point where I was like, I cannot see Spurs not being in the top three for like the next five years. Moving to the new stadium, Poch taking them to the Champions League final. This is the thing. You look at Spurs now, who got sort of 
blown away by Sheffield United or swatted aside, really. And you think just because he wouldn't give him the money for the revamp that he said he needed, he needed a revamp. And he was at the crest of his recruitment and he was doing such great work. And there was all this muttering. There's always muttering after a while, like, oh, like, he's lost the players. He's not as close as he was. People always say that stuff when results don't go their way because they start covering their backs. But Pochettino identified flaws years ago and all Spurs had to do was back him. And it's so bizarre because it's a self-inflicted wound. Mm. They'll look at this as a generational failure. It's like when, was it St. Mirren sacked Sir Alex Ferguson? And everyone was like, what the hell are you doing? It's Alex Ferguson. And obviously like, you know, Spurs are a far bigger club, but like in terms of Spurs' trajectory, this could have put Spurs like in European contention. Spurs could have been a Champions League club, as you say, for years. They had a chance to do what Deportivo didn't. Like really establish themselves. They could have become like Atleti. You know, like you say, a permanent third. It's just so frustrating, actually, Ryan. And if I think about it too much, I get a bit angry because, not that I get angry about that many things in football, but this is one of the things that makes me annoyed because Spurs did it the right way. We talk about clubs doing things the right way. Daniel Levy's ego, I think, cost him ultimately and and maybe some more stuff within the club. Obviously, we're not Spurs experts and there will be some people who know a lot more about the club. Ego took over ultimately because Dan, we, we mentioned it at the time when Poch went and Mourinho came in that Levy has always wanted Spurs to be a club that could have Mourinho as manager. Yeah. But unfortunately, the time that they've got him was when the two trends were going in opposite directions. Spurs were on the up in terms of the size of the club and the profile of the club and Mourinho was on the way down. And I think you've seen that and now Mourinho has already ended up in third season Mourinho mode after seven, seven months. months. Yeah. And with seven months with a three-month gap. You know, Spurs are 10th now. They're playing to, we're, we're recording this ahead of Spurs' evidence. They might bounce back with a massive 5-0 win and bump themselves back up to eighth in the table. But I think it's a real shame for Spurs because they had all the tools. They were ready to go. Everything was there. He was so good, Pochettino, that he can make talent. He can make, well, not make talent, but he can bring genius from anywhere. When you've got someone who's that good at developing players, they sold Kyle Walker and it was no big deal. That is, like, we're going to look back at what Pochettino did at Spurs. Obviously, we already appreciate it, but really appreciate it. When we look at the quality of players or the quality got out of players. Yeah. Unbelievable. Actually, shout out as well. While, while, while I'm here, shout out to Everton as well, just because I just really love the job Ancelotti is doing there. Oh, yeah. Everyone's second club again. It's just so lovely what he's doing there. Yeah. Before we move on, uh, who knew that it was actually Kieran Trippier was the key piece to holding up the Spurs <laughs> yeah. legacy? Who knew? <laughs> uh, let's take a quick break and then we'll be back. To listen to this and to all episodes of the Stadio podcast, please go to the Ringer FC Spotify feed. It really helps grow the podcast. 